Okay, let's do some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. That's obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. To reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. Here's the thing. Information is power. Information is money. Literally, the currency of today's world of of entrepreneurship is information. And if you could bring all of the, the information about your business into one dashboard, this is incredibly valuable. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of the truth about your business. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all of your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. This is so valuable. You just hit a button and you can see all the information about your business instead of having to like call five different departments and get all these emails and put it all together and make sense of it. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math, see how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash james, netsuite.com slash james netsuite.com slash james thanks again for listening to my podcast i want to offer you a free copy of my new book the side hustle bible i've spent five years putting together the research for this book i saw the need that everybody i knew was starting side hustles. I identified 177 specific side hustle opportunities that I think are doable by anyone. My team has interviewed and researched all the entrepreneurs involved and selected the best opportunities. So get this book, The Side Hustle Bible. Get it for free at jamesfreebooks.com. That's jamesfreebooks.com to claim your free copy of The Side Hustle Bible, jamesfreebooks.com. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show. And people have talked about negotiation. If you view it as a collective problem that needs to be solved, like you're working with that person, let's solve this problem together. It's our problem. We have the same goals. We want to help the company succeed. I provide value as a great programmer. I'm hardworking. I care about this. This is related to a very important question people ask about negotiation. So in a negotiation, should you squeeze every drop out of it so that one side's happy, the other side isn't? Or should both sides be happy? And the answer is both sides should be happy because you're going to continue to work together. Sure. People will do stuff based on how it makes them feel. I had a similar situation. Like I was at CBS at the time and the guy who was the executive producer of the show was a prominent guy and he said, Steve, you're doing a great job, but people at CBS mandated it that you can only get 10%. And I remember being confident that I knew I was doing a good job. I knew they needed me. And I remember saying, you think we're playing poker? I think we're playing blackjack. Keep hitting me and I'll tell you when to stop. 
And then he was like, well, what do you want? And I remember saying, first, I want out of the trap. Then I'll worry about the cheese. And he goes, what, what did that mean? It means like, I didn't or were you like, just like I didn't know. No, no. And I remember he goes, who, says this? <laughs> who speaks like this? And I said, I do. And I really just wanted to switch positions. And I remember he was like, you're absurd. Like, nobody talks like this. But it is true. Like, sometimes there are non-monetary things that you need. You know, and we've talked about this before. Like, sometimes you go into negotiations, people want to be heard. People maybe want to be respected. Maybe they want to feel appreciated. You know, and that goes a long way, too, in a negotiation. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Logistics. Presenting the Delivery Service Partner Program, a new opportunity for business leaders who want to own and operate their own package delivery business. You'll get access to Amazon's logistics training and technology and start building a motivated delivery team in your community. To learn more about becoming an Amazon Delivery Service Partner, go to logistics.amazon.com. Steve, I wanted to talk about uh, how to be a great negotiator. So I've, I've, I'm not necessarily the best. I've always been a bad negotiator in my life. By the way, what, what, who are you texting on the phone? Right <laughs> we just started the podcast. You're texting someone on the phone. Susan, who, who are you just texting? I was honestly sending your article because on the way over, I, I, I like to provide value to our listeners. So like, and I don't have 20 years of negotiating experience. I'm actually usually not good in those situations. I'm but kind of like I, a pinata and everybody else is not blindfolded. So that's how I usually No, but work. what's interesting is, yeah. A, it's interesting that you're aware of that because I find everybody, most people, 99% of people are bad negotiators, but 99% of people think they're great negotiators. No, I'm awful. It's I'm that Dunning-Kruger effect yes. applied to negotiation. I used to think I was a great negotiator. Now I'm aware I'm a bad negotiator. So after thousands of negotiations, like I've, I've starting from negotiating salaries or jobs to negotiating selling companies to negotiating with clients depending on what business i've had i've been through so many negotiations and i've asked so many people to help me like great great negotiators to help me i at least try to model myself after them as opposed to model myself after me 100 so, so so i'll think of something okay this is a situation that this one person i know who's a great negotiator was in what would he do? What did he do? And then I compile kind of like a toolbox of negotiation based on all these great negotiators I know. And as you know, we've had great negotiators on this podcast. For instance, Chris Voss, who was the the FBI's uh, terrorism negotiator. Uh, and not to conflate the two, but I've worked with top Wall Street negotiators. Yeah. It's almost a similar thing. And, you know, over the years, I've sold four or yeah. five different companies and have been involved in negotiation. I've, I've negotiated, again, sales to clients and so on. So I kind of wanted to, uh, I've written about this quite a bit. Uh, I, and I think this is something very useful for people. Negotiation is the difference between making nothing and making millions, sometimes on the exact same negotiation. And it's not just about the, the, the conversation you have with the other side that moment. It's, it's negotiation might be a multi-year process that starts years before a price is negotiated and usually extends six months to years after a price is negotiated. And so we can get to that as well. Yeah, I know. I was very excited, you know, because sometimes when we try and talk, you know, on a topic, 
I know this is something that everybody can benefit for, right? We all negotiate things hundreds of times yeah, a and day. Even, and even you and me, like for me, it's helpful for me to say some of these things out loud again. So I remember because negotiation never ends. You're negotiating all the time. You're negotiating with, uh, on small levels with, you know, family yeah. members, with friends, with, uh, particularly with children. Yeah. I, have five, I have five children. It's a constant negotiation. It's every day they are negotiating. They they never, children never stop negotiating because there's always a boundary that they're trying to find the other side of. Yeah, and in fact, today, I wanted to sit on that side and you said, no, it's not negotiable. I'm sitting on that side of the table. I, for some reason, I pictured that <laughs> you I would do. be sitting on the other side. I don't know why I was I know, I was like, get away. Like, I, actually, I like this side too. And but I Jay think, put the coffee here, so. No, but you always sit on that side. That's you, that's your side of the table. <laughs> uh. So, okay, the first thing, um, and this is kind of the cliche, but any you can't negotiate uh, without ha having the ability to walk away. Else, you're not negotiating. You're, you're really just negotiating the terms of your slavery because you can't win a negotiation if you can't walk away. After that, it's just like they're in control and you just have to figure out how to be as less a slave as possible to whatever they decide. You have to be able to walk away from a negotiation. Now, often... People think they can't walk away. They, they and people tell me I can't walk away. It's my job, and I'm and I need a raise. Or I can't walk away. I never. It's the first time I'm selling a company. This is going to change my life. It's really important to know that that if you if you value what it is you're negotiating for, things are only going to be better later on. And you should always, whether it's imaginary or real, you have to put it in your head and you have to believe it sincerely. You have to model a person who doesn't care about the outcome of the negotiation. And, uh... Yeah, you know, no, I, I definitely think that's true. And I've been in situations, I'm sure you have, where you were too desirous of a specific outcome. Almost all the time. Like, the very first time I was selling a company, it was 1998, and I was so, you know, sick in the sense that I was willing to accept any offer. I had $0 in the bank, and you're selling a company which is making millions of dollars, so you're negotiating a, a big, life-changing number. I was I was essentially willing to accept, I didn't negotiate at all, I was willing to accept uh, anything. And I made, I made some various mistakes, which we'll get to later, uh, but I wish I had been, I had the the confidence to, to walk away because I could have, I probably, I probably could have squeezed an extra 30 to 50% out of it, which yeah. is a difference of millions. Like, uh, it's not trivial. The, you know, it's like anything in life. People think, oh, if you if you do this in revenues, you should sell for this. There are no mathematical formulas in a negotiation. It's all an illusion. You make it up and you have to make sure the formula you decide is the formula that wins. And I'll, I'll talk about formulas in a little bit because this is a, I, this is where I'm modeling myself after a master negotiator uh, who, who taught me about formulas. But again, it's a cliche. It's obvious. You have to be able to walk away. If you feel you can't, you, you've got to imagine scenarios in your head and sincerely believe them that you could walk away from and a that's negotiation. A, that's, I was going to say two things. One, that's an essence of like faking it till you make it, right? Like you're faking that kind of belief, but you can get yourself in that mindset. It's kind of like an if then, if this doesn't happen, then this is what will happen. And I can deal with that, right? And then the other thing I was gonna say, apropos what you were saying, is I did, I like the idea of, it's like, you don't get what you deserve, you get what you negotiate, you know, a lot of that, times. That, that's really true. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll give an example, which I hate to use this as an example, forgive me, audience or whoever, um, but it's a great example. Donald Trump goes, how many times has he been bankrupt with the casino, the Taj Mahal, or all his, the casinos in Atlantic City have gone. It's a guess, double digits. 
I think actually realistically it's like oh, three yeah. or four. Okay, fine. Fair enough. <laughs> and, oh, but bankruptcy in general, he's been bankrupt a number of times. He's never been personally bankrupt. Okay, fine. But okay. he's been this company, the Atlantic sure, City. Sure, fair casino. enough, fair enough. So, so, uh, uh, and he's owed the bank a billion dollars. So, right. you know, the first thing he, but, but he has a way of whether this is like preposterous and egomaniacal or not, he has this way of reframing his situation so that it favors him. So he has a famous quote in The Art of the Deal, written in, uh, I don't know, 1991 or 92. He says, if you if 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 you owe the bank a million dollars, they own you. If you owe the bank a, a, a billion dollars, you own them. Sure. So he tries to owe, actually, as much as possible when he goes bankrupt. And then they say, okay, we're going to restructure the company. We're going to take it over. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're not taking it over. I'm still running the ship even though we're bankrupt. Right, And even right. though I caused it to go bankrupt, you're not going anywhere. And and somehow he wins those negotiations because he's like, hey, he convinces them they need, or he did, right. I don't know if this would still work. Sure. He convinces them, you need the Trump brand or I'm going to take off. And then you guys figure that out. You're going to owe a billion dollars. You guys figure it out. I'm taking over. I'm ta you're not allowed to use my brand. And and he gets paid enormous amounts of money, and then he goes bankrupt again. And then maybe they figure, in that case, that could be the devil you know is, is is better than the devil you don't know, right? I, I, I mean, think, it could I, be that. I think, honestly, he kind of ran out of, of times he can go bankrupt, yeah. and he decided to run for president instead. Oh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so, by the way, notice how easy it is for the uh, <laughs> buildings on the west side. Now, they all took down the Trump name. Yeah, so. for sure. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, and I think, I do think that... Um, it takes, I've heard, I heard, you know, the phrase the other day, like first you have courage and you have, first you need courage and you get confidence. And I imagine that's that same way in a negotiation, right? Like once you get- It's, it's really hard because like I'm non-confrontational and I think you right. kind of are as well. Absolutely. And it's really hard for me to say, like like a typical technique, um, if you say no about some term, they might come back and say, what, don't you trust us? And so they act like, you're calling, right. you know, it's that thing, like, are you calling me a liar? Right. And, uh, you know, that's, there's techniques on the other side when someone sure. says no, and you have to say, no, no, no. You know, my first instinct is always like, no, 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 it's fine. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to make you think that, you know, right. and then I'll call them up later. Hey, you didn't really think I was calling. Like I get all nervous and afraid and non-confrontational. Right. And, and, uh, uh, I, I have ways of dealing with that, which we'll get to. Um, my second and, and point, I would direct it people to this article because I thought it was a terrific article that you yeah I have a, an article called the ultimate cheat sheet to become a great negotiator but if you go Google altature and negotiation I have about four or five different articles yeah they're all really great and um so so uh don't be afraid to say no nevertheless there's going to be issues that come up and we'll try to deal with them but that's the most important one the the second one I have is is a, a little bit smaller but it's called don't be a child and it refers to the fact that a lot of people think this is what a negotiation looks like. Hey, I'll pay you forty. Uh, I'll pay you twenty dollars, and you say forty, and then I say thirty, and done. Sure. And we, so everybody thinks we're going to all meet in the middle, and this yeah. we're going to say two numbers, and we're going to take the average, sure. and that's going to be the deal. I've never seen a negotiation occur like that. Because sure. then it's just this assumption, like, what, you were lying? When you said 40, it wasn't really worth 40. It was worth uh, 30. Why did you lie? Why are you 25% off on your lie? Well, there's probably a lot of reasons why that doesn't work. One, you were, yeah, you were saying like, oh, it's almost like a cartoonish to think like a negotiation is that simple. And also, which you go on to expand upon in that article, like, it's more than just one factor. It's not just money. There might be 20 or 30 different factors that you could 
tie into right. it, right? Right. It could be vacation time. It could be right. You but, know, but let's benefit. just say, like on a basic oh, conversation, my, yeah, sure. Like, like, like a lot of people do kind of fall into this, like, hey, it'll be like this. Yeah, right? yeah, sure, like, sure, like you sure. say, cartoonish, and I think. Um, it, this applies, uh, let's say, to to mystery writing. Like if you're writing yeah. a mystery novel, if you telegraph too early in the novel who the killer is, sure, it's no longer an interesting novel. So if you kind of go into negotiation, it, it, signaling that hey, we're just going to agree yeah. in the middle, they're going to guess that and take advantage of oh, that. If, if it's too yeah. obvious the technique you're using, and this is a very obvious technique yeah. that most people use, then there's ways around that, which is you 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 can basically say no, we're not going to be in the middle. Like, and you sure. kind of call their bluff and then they don't know what to do because they thought that's how oh, it works on Tom and Jerry. It should work here. So, um, so this is, this next technique, um, is, uh, and I, can I, I ask you something about that yeah. though? Because yeah, yeah. like, cause ask whatever you want. Good. Because I have a lot of questions and, um, you're like Radio Shack. I have questions. You got answers. Um, but I think Why is that like Radio Shack? <laughs> that was the name. That was a commercial. Really? Yeah. Anybody? When you had, is that when Robin, you had, the, is that when you that had, that was the, a name of the, it was like. Uh, you know, first off, Burger Radio King, Sha have it your way. First like, off, it was Radio like, Shack is bankrupt. <laughs> I know. Second off, did you have a Still TRS? A good slogan. Still a good. I had a Tandy. Did you have a TRS eighty? <laughs> um, I wasn't into computers as much. I mean, I was. I mean, I wasn't like a programmer like you, but uh, Tandy was like kind of their sure, their, like, sure, sure. Of Atari, I think I did right? actually. I think I remember getting one of those when I was like in sixth or seventh grade. Yeah. Um, lot of good, lot of good did me. Where where you might um, have paid attention to the slogans? <laughs> what was the slogan again? It was like it was Radio Shag. Oh, you got questions, questions, you got answers. Um, but Clearly those listeners out there, right, exactly. <laughs> who Once you've forgiven us for bringing up Donald Trump, you can forgive me for that dated <laughs> reference. Um, now, what I was going to say was some people say, don't bring out a number first. You know, let them do it. Right, you know, but that's that's actually incorrect advice. Okay. Okay, um, so so here's the why thing. Why is that? So, so it's not like, and look, I'm always in favor of honesty. So if you want $40, say I want $40, but nothing is ever, every object in life and every thing you want has a spectrum of value. So for instance, um, you know, with a car, this, this is why you go into a car dealership. There's some spectrum, which the salesman sure. is willing to sell you, like depending on how you negotiate. So, so if you, if you, Yes, you should be honest and throw out a number that's acceptable to you. But there's one exception to that, which is the very first number thrown out because every negotiation has positives and negatives, else it would be an easy negotiation. Like, um, I could say, you know, you could say to me what salary you want and it might be so high that I can't afford other things. So that's a negative for me, or it might be, uh, uh, you have offered so much value, I get eager to close yeah. at that level. So so every negotiation, every everything has positives and negatives for both sides. That's why it's a spectrum. That's why there's never any one value for things. So there's something that's very important called anchoring bias. So let's say, and and th this has happened to me, let's say I'm selling my house and you walk in and let's say that I'm just going to make up a number. Let's say the house is worth a million dollars. You walk in and you say, okay, What's this house worth? I love it. What's this house worth? And I say, well, it's sunny outside, so $3 million. And now that's ridiculous, right? It's it's all the comparables are right. worth a million. And I just said $3 million. And now I'm, I can even say, oh, this is such a great location. You know, 
to justify uh, but why no, they're I'm not even, I'm not even. Maybe I'm just joking around. Like I, I'm just, I'm just joking around. But it is a great location. Now, uh, all I've done there is that's called anchoring bias. Now we're working off of subconsciously the three million dollars. You can't make it too high, or I can't say, oh, it's a hundred million dollars. Then it's right. just a joke. Or maybe three million might even be too high. I might say, oh, I was thinking between two and three. I was thinking two and a half. Um, I was thinking two million two hundred seventy-five thousand dollars. Because the more specific, actually, the better. And and it, even people feel like they'll get a small victory if you give them a range. They'll say, oh, well, how about two million? And they feel like it's a small victory too. Right. Well, that's just it. So once you once there's an anchor, once there's an anchor, whether or not it's subconscious or whether or not they're even conscious that you're anchoring it, they can't help it. It's a cognitive bias. Uh, Daniel Kahneman writes about this in Thinking Fast and Slow. He also mentions that even if you're aware of the cognitive biases being used against you, you cannot fight them. So so even though, even if I say two and a half million or, or very specific, I give a specific number and you know, oh, he's anchoring me highly, you're still anchored at that two and a half million. So now if we negotiate and I go down to like 1.3, it's still 30% higher than 100%, where we yeah. initially, where you initially thought this was should be valued at. Uh, and even though it was clearly joking and I was, uh, you know, I'm, by, by throwing out 2.3 million, A, I'm anchoring you highly. B, your first microsecond instinct is to focus on the positives. Why is he saying 2.3? Oh, it's maybe a few more rooms or maybe it's, um, yes, you're in a great location. You're right next to a McDonald's, the worst, world's most popular restaurant in the world. <laughs> if you're not a vegan like you. Uh, uh, or or you, your, your brain in like a millionth of a second starts thinking of the positives more than the negatives. Sure. So you're anchored. Now, and even if I say, ah, I'm just kidding. What what do you think? And now, now we're negotiating. But again, even if it's 1.1 we end up on, uh, I still end up 10% higher than what the house is probably valued at if you use just the comparable built houses in the in the area. So 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 yes, it, you throwing the first number out is actually a good thing to do if you're taking advantage of anchoring bias. And again, you're taking advantage of the fact that everything every single object or or thing negotiated has a spectrum of positives and negatives and by anchoring higher, throwing out a number first, you're forcing the person you're negotiating with to think about the positives before they think about the negatives. So, oh, interesting. So yeah. that that and then there's actually a Harvard Business School study which researches this. You should always throw the first number out if and only if you're using this anchoring bias combined with that. Yeah, and it's it's kind of like they get momentum too. That side, the other side gets that momentum, right? If you're the side declaring the price. You could sit there and enumerate all the virtues, and it's maybe harder to disprove all those right. things. It, like, imagine, what do you mean? It's not. It's not worth two million. Come on, that other house. Well, that other house doesn't have this. Right. right. Or, uh, yeah. Imagine two other scenarios, right? Imagine if I throw out the first number, but I but I say, look, my house com comparable with the other houses in the area is a million. Um, uh, now you're going to start negotiating and saying, well, I don't really like how the plumbing is. Maybe can I do nine hundred fifty thousand? Right. Now we're talking about a number smaller than a million all of a sudden because I just anchored yeah. it at what I thought was a fair price, but now you're you're negotiating. Sure. So so um, the other scenario is if you throw out a number first, yeah. you're going to say, well, the comps are a million, the comparables are a million, right. so that's what I'm offering. And you're being as honest as possible. But now if I say 2.3, now we're like so far off yeah. that it's I can no longer right. get right. you to focus on more of the positives. Sure. My, I, I can't sell the dream anymore. I have to sell the reality. Right. You know, you and, always want to sell the dream first as you boil down to the reality. 
And I think, and, and you're going to get into this, I'm sure, because I know, because I have ESPN, I mean, and I know, but I think that, um, I think part of it, though, you have to know the other side, too. You have to know, oh, they're really deep-pocketed. That person really wants it. Is that person looking for value or looking for prestige? Well, Do you know what I mean? Like, if you're, if I'm, I could just be like, you know, you're misguided with the three million thing, even two million or even one point five. All I'm going to spend is, you know, eight hundred thousand. Sorry, I need to. Ha- that's my budget. Well, well, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. I think that's, uh, I don't want to say that's persuasion in the Robert Cialdini sense, but knowing who you're negotiating with is really important. So, for instance, I'm advising a company right now, and they're fi- going around a pool of buyers who could potentially buy them, and the CEO mentions one company to me and I look it up and that company is worth 700 million. And, and then the next company he mentions to me is worth 15 billion. And I say, look, we kind of want to aim for a $300 million price for your company. Don't talk to the seven. They can't, they're not going to give up 50% of their company or a third of their company to buy you talk to the $15 billion company. Cause it's not even right. three percent, you know, it's whatever it's 2% of their company to buy you. They don't, that's not right. even a footnote in their annual report. They could pay 300 million without thinking about it. So, yeah. so you need to know who you're negotiating with and, and not negotiate with the people where you don't want a hard negotiation. So to, to that's sell, one of your points. You said, if it's a really hard negotiation, it's not worth it. You got to step away. So the $700 million one, unless you're willing to accept 25 million or is, is, you know, what's 2% of 700 million is 14 million. Right. 2% of 15 billion is 300 million. So right. you want ones where you're not um, asking for more than five. In a company sale, you don't want to ask for more than 5% of their company unless it's, it's like a merger rather than an acquisition. Similarly, if you're negotiating on a salary increase, yeah. it's very hard to negotiate with someone who makes less than you. Sure. So, so this is why athletes need agents, right? Because athletes make yeah. more than the coaches. So the agents stay in the middle and, and avoid right. that kind of confrontation. Sure, sure, sure. But not yeah. every negotiation you can, you can afford, you, you know, you don't have a middleman. This is why a real estate agent, if they're good, they provide value because they're a middleman. But in many cases, you don't have a middleman. And it avoids emotion and, right, detach because that, that is why, like, so you've, you've had, you know, and I'm just quoting you here, you've had a lot of bad negotiations and you learned a lot from those experiences. And some, I would imagine, is letting emotion get into the way of it, right? Like the best people in anything aren't that particularly invested in a certain outcome. Like the great negotiator Herb Cohen, you know, talks about like, you always want to be in situations, no relation, but a smart guy. But he, you know, was a real master negotiator. And he was saying like, you want to be, you don't want to be tied down to any specific outcome. You don't, you want to like something, you don't need to love it. Like, I like it. I'd love for that to happen. I'm not that love, in love with it. Right, because, I, I care a lot, but I don't care too much. Right, you know? because very important to remember, 90% of communication is nonverbal. So his point there is, is that he's not telegraphing in any way with body language or his tone or whatever that he, that he cares too much because then they could take advantage of that. So that's another great thing about throwing out like this ridiculously high yeah. number. Not Again, not too high, but just anchoring high is that, okay, I'm not taking this as seriously uh, oh, as you might right. be. I'm throwing out a number so high because I'm acknowledging that, hey, this is fluid and that I love my house and I'm throwing a right. high number on it. And then you, you're off guard And for that you're second. also that maybe like you're not that willing to sell. Like, all right, yeah. you know, and everybody has an offer they can't refuse. And 
again, also what's worth X to one person may be worth Y to another person. And I think about when the billionaire Steve Ballmer bought the Los Angeles Clippers, he bought it at such a high price. And now it's worth even more. I think he paid a billion or two billion, which was a lot more than the average. And by the, as a result of that, he was able to make it worth more. And now it's worth a lot more than it had been. And that speaks to what you were talking about, where if Google bought a company and right. yeah. I think, I think, I think what Steve Ballmer did uh, with the Clippers was, I mean, I remember actually that day talking about yeah. it with, with Mark Cuban, who spent right. $2 billion for the Mavericks. Right. And Mavericks at the time was, and maybe they still, I don't know, yeah. Paul Basketball, it was at the time was like one of the best teams yeah. in the league. And the Clippers clearly wasn't. Right. So, so Mark Cuban was grateful for Steve Ballmer because yeah. what did that make the Mavericks worth if the sure. Clippers were worth, you know, that. So, so... Uh, but but that reminds me of how Peter Thiel does investing, not necessarily negotiating, but investing. He likes to invest. So most people like to invest in something that has a very low valuation. If you invest in Uber when it was worth four million, it, now it's yeah. worth a hundred hundred billion. You made an enormous amount of money. Sure. But Peter Thiel thinks if I invest in something that's already being valued at a billion, that means a lot of supposedly a lot of smart people are committed to this valuation and bringing it higher, and so. He feels that's actually safer for his. Wow. He's not. He's not aiming for a thousand times return like you would have gotten with Uber. He, but he just wants to make money consistently, and his investments tend to be in the billion dollar crowd, and he does consistently well. So, um, uh, okay, uh, this is this is one of the most important and where I have many actual examples, which is let the other side help you, and I also call this the advice technique. So, and this applies to any situation, I'll apply it to uh, a salary negotiation. So let's say I'm asking you for a raise. You're my boss, I'm asking you for a raise. And I go into your office and say, listen, been here, it's been, it's been a year since my last raise. I've gotten a, a lot more responsibilities. Uh, uh, you could anchor it. I think I should be making double what I'm making now. So you're anchoring it a little right. higher, but you know, then you all laugh. And then he says to you, seriously, what do you think you should make? Now he's asking you to throw out a real price. Right. He's trying to ignore the anchor or sure. she. But um, and then, so here's here's the advice technique. I always say, listen, I'm just a, a programmer or I'm an accountant or whatever. I keep I'm keep I keep my you know head to the ground. I'm working really hard. I'm, I'm here all the time. So I'm I'm relisting my values and positive features. But you're you do those. You're the boss. You do these negotiations a thousand times a year. You're like a grandmaster of chess and I'm like an amateur off the street. So I really don't know. So I know this is odd, but let me ask you for advice. If you were me, what should I ask you for? And you're also flattering that person. And, and again- I'm, I'm flattering, I'm giving status. And by the way, it's not inaccurate. Yeah, the sure. person does have status. So so it's not, uh, it's, I'm right. not trying to be slippery. Uh, I or really- Eddie Haskell, hmm? another dated reference, but Eddie Haskell from Leave to Beaver. Looks so great, oh. Miss Beaver. <laughs> but but also the person, the, the boss also has a, probably a better sense of the range from HR of what he can sure, offer. Sure, for sure. So, so um, and, and he's not going to give me bad advice because it's hard for people to, once they're assigned status and a position sure. of trust, it's, it's hard for people to immediately abuse that trust unless they're a psychopath, in which case you probably shouldn't work for them anyway. Right. So, so it, I know when people have used this technique on me, I've tried to be as as fair and generous as possible, like usually at the higher end yes. of the acceptable range, maybe not the top, but the higher end. And so I find that to be a useful technique. It also helps me understand where they're starting from and they probably have, and it gives me information about where they have room to go. Like, 
And uh, uh, they yeah. might say, well, we'll give you a, a 10% raise. And then, and then I might say, instead of 10%, I might reframe it a little bit. And, and let's say I was making 60,000 a year and 10% is 6,000. Yeah. You know, I, I say, I wasn't thinking that I was thinking maybe 70,000 a year. So I'm switching, I'm confusing it a little bit. I'm switching it yeah. from percentages to specific numbers. Or I might say, how did you come up with that 10%? And, and I, 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 because now I'm starting to circle sure. around another technique, but, but at least when I ask for advice, I know I'm probably not going to get, uh, on, sure. a, on a scale of zero to 10, where zero is you're getting screwed, yeah. 10 is you're getting above and beyond a good yeah. deal. I'm probably around a seven or eight if I use the advice technique. I'm going to say a few things. One, the aforementioned Herb Cohen calls it um, the calculated incompetence. You know, it makes you endearing and non-threatening. You know what I mean? You want people, you, people will do stuff based on how it makes them feel. They feel good helping poor right. sheepish James, you know, the programmer that was unsophisticated you know yeah. then and, and, and arrogant I, no and then I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm gonna just add to that I've, yeah I, i'm sorry i always interrupt no no, but no i'm gonna add to that which is that um because i am trusting you and uh, and giving you this right. situation of status and we're in the room together talking right. about a possible raise and you've already said what do you think yeah so you acknowledge that right maybe there's a number mm you're also acknowledging then everything I just potentially said about, well, I've do 50% yeah. more hours. I have more responsibilities. Yeah. So, you know, you, if you just throw out 10%, right. we're going to get into a later technique of what I call the formula, but, but you're also not only feeling good, you're also feeling that you made a good decision in at least hiring me because I've, well, that's why we're negotiating. Yeah. I, I had a similar situation. Like I was at CBS at the time and the guy who was executive producer of the show, he was a prominent guy. And he said, Steve, you're doing a great job, and you know I want to call you in, you know. But the people at CBS, like, you know, you know, they're mandated it that you can only get ten percent. And he goes, "Don't come back and say nine point nine percent." And I remember being confident that I knew I was doing a good job. I knew they needed me, and I remember saying, "You think we're playing poker? I think we're playing blackjack. Keep hitting me, and I'll tell you when to stop." And then he was like, "Well, what do you want?" And I remember saying, first, I want out of the trap." Then I'll worry about the cheese. And he goes, What, what did that mean? It means like, I didn't or were you like, just like I didn't know. No, no. <laughs> no. no and like I remember he goes, Who says this? <laughs> Who speaks like this? And I said, I do. And I, I really just wanted to switch positions. <laughs> you know, I didn't really want to keep doing what I was doing. I thought it was Steve Vietnam. And I was, we really like needed to do something differently. And I remember after he was like, You're absurd. Like nobody talks like this. And and I just felt like, but it is true. Like sometimes there are non-monetary things that you need, you know, and we've talked about this before. Like sometimes you go into negotiations, people want to be heard. People may want to be respected. Maybe they want to feel appreciated, you know, and that goes a long way too in a negotiation. But that, you know, that was one of the reasons why I brought up that story. Like there are, you know, like. The, the, the other thing is related. And that to was his, him anchoring it in that particular case, like a salary, like you're only getting 10% higher. Right, but then okay, so we'll get we'll get yeah. to that a little format, in a little yeah. bit. But the advice technique helps, particularly someone like you and me, and perhaps Herb Cohen, which is that if you're non-confrontational, you basically go in and you say, "I have this problem. What's your advice?" Then you're not being confrontational; you're actually bonding. Sure. And so, people have talked about negotiation. If you view it as a collective problem that needs to be solved, like you're working with that person, let's solve this problem together. It's our problem. Yeah. We have the same goals. We want to help the company succeed. I provide value as a great programmer. I'm hardworking. I care about this. It's, you know, I'm a team player. Well, well, yeah. this, is, this is related to a very important question people ask about negotiation. Let's stop to take a quick break. We'll be right back. 
don't get hacked. If you use public Wi-Fi for anything, but particularly for your business, there are people out there in airports, coffee shops, everywhere trying to hack your business data, like the infamous dark hotel attacks that targeted executives and hotels all over the world. A 2018 study by iPass Mobile Security reported that 81% of organizations have seen Wi-Fi-related security issues just in the last 12 months. So if your team travels often or works remotely or you do a bring-your-own-device-to-work policy, it's almost certain that they're using public Wi-Fi at some point. That's why you need TunnelBear for Teams, an easy-to-use Wi-Fi security app built specifically for teams that are regularly on the go. With one tap, your team can protect their devices with TunnelBear so they can stay productive and safe anywhere they decide to work. And unlike other VPNs, expensing is easy. There aren't any licenses to juggle or one-off invoices to manage. Try TunnelBear for Teams free for seven days by signing up at tunnelbear.com slash james. That's a free week of Tunnel Bear for Teams if you sign up at T-U-N-N-E-L-B-E-A-R.com slash James. So in a negotiation, should you squeeze every drop out of it or should, and so that one side's happy, yeah. the other side isn't, or should you, should both sides be happy? And the answer is both sides should be happy. So particularly in the case of a, of a company buying another company or a salary increase, um, both sides should be happy because you're going to continue to work together. Sure. But what about if you're just selling a painting, uh, should both sides be happy or it doesn't really matter. You want to get the maximum right. amount for this painting. I still think both sides should be happy for many reasons. First off, if it's a high ticket item, it takes a while to close. You have to do a contract yeah. and a deal and and all and lawyers negotiate. So so if both sides aren't equally happy, there's more chance for buyer's remorse or seller's remorse, which is a very people forget about this. Yeah. Buyer's remorse and seller's remorse will always happen post negotiation but before the closing of oh, the deal. Interesting. So if I if you tell me a million dollar house is worth 2 million and I agree, yeah. I'm certainly going to have buyer's remorse before the deal closes and I'll probably back out of the deal. Yeah. Like you have to be if both sides aren't happy, even if you've won the quote unquote one yeah. negotiation, you might lose the deal. I I was talking so the person I was texting at the beginning is a man named Mort Efron who has been doing this for 57 years and he's a lawyer and he's a friend with a family, brilliant guy. Related to Zach Efron? No. But it's related to my friend Jessica Efron who was on Jeopardy, uh, lost to James Holtzauer pretty handily, but he beat everybody pretty well. But again, I appreciate her being out there. She was great. Um, but what was interesting about I asked him that very same situation and it was a corollary of like pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. And he said, I said, you know, yeah, I do. Steve, I do these deals a million times. I've done these 57 years. I've gotten better at this, even though I thought it was good. And for example, today I was dealing with somebody and I got, I could have gotten an extra 10,000 or 20,000 out of them, but my client only wanted X amount and, and you want them to feel happy. And he goes, every time I'll even go over to them and say, wow, you guys did great. You did a, your lawyer did a great job. And he said, I don't, live in Chicago. He goes, he goes, I work in Chicago, but I want to live in heaven where people then refer them to me. I want to have more business. So I thought it was that, I thought it was very instructive. You know, like, again, like for me, I try and seek counsel from, I don't seek opinions. I seek counsel from people who really were successful yourself, him, Herb Cohen, Chris Voss. Well, all, yeah. all those people more success, successful than me. Um, and, no, and you've again, done very well. I watch you negotiate and you, you also are very, you don't you don't hide behind a lot of stuff. You don't even like using lawyers. You're and again, 
my bias might be like, well, James has done well already. He's made a good amount of money. But I think, no, I, I think people who are really, really successful too could be, you know, chisel you or ball busters and oh. really harangue you. All the time. And sometimes yeah. you care about yeah. outcomes. And that's, like you mentioned earlier, that's yeah. a big challenge. And so no matter how well you've done, and also not every negotiation is about money. When I negotiate with my kids, it might be about a curfew or you know, sure. what they want to do with their lives. And and even though that doesn't seem like a negotiation, it actually is. Like, at any given point, like, like I, uh, what I appreciate in what you just said about your friend Herb is that uh, he was just in a negotiation today. Sure. So, like, people, people who are good negotiators are always in negotiations because that's what they do. Yeah, he, and, and he, he told me he loved it. He says, I love doing it. And I said, why do you love it? He goes, I like solving problems. I like helping people. And I kind of look at it like a game and it's fun. Yeah. And I think I think one way, I remember the first time I used a literary agent to close a book deal. So this was in 2006. Uh, I was closing a deal and and I had previously done two other books with this publishing company. And I said, listen, you guys are just experts at this. I did the advice right. technique. Sort of I did the advice technique. I said, you guys are experts at this. I don't really know what I'm doing. I just want to get started writing the book. We both agree. We want to write the book. I, I don't know how to handle all the paperwork and all yeah. the other issues. Let me introduce you to an agent. And he, right. we'll all agree to the same number anyway, but let me, I just yeah. want to outsource it to him. And if, what is she going to say at the publishing company? She said, of course. And he got me about, right. even though he charged 15%, he, he got me about right. 30 or 40% higher wow. and he got me a better yeah. deal on foreign rights than I normally get. And so I learned a lot from using, some cases you want to use a middleman, particularly for us non-confrontational right. sure, people. Sure, sure, sure. Um, uh, so this this let the other side help you is really important. But there's another thing um, that your friend Herb said that I relate to, which I don't think I've written in this article. So one time I was negotiating um, an investment and they want I wanted to give up 3% of the company this, I was creating a company, stockpicker.com, sure. and the street.com wanted to be involved. And the deal was very complicated. There was no cash involved, but there were other things involved. And they offered a lot of value, like distribution and, and, and other things. And I offered a lot of value. I had this company already set up. So uh, I wanted to give them 3%. And they immediately, the CEO, Tom Clark, uh, I, who I thought was a very good negotiator, he immediately said, um, how about we take 50%, <laughs> which was actually seen, even though I was anchoring so low, right. he just, this is the one case where I saw someone just like throw that away immediately and just stick to his, what he was thinking initially. And, and I immediately said, yes, because a, I was not confrontational. That's the honest, real first reason. But B, I quickly thought about it and I figured, you know what, if they own 50%, we're in it together. If they own 3% and it doesn't do well, they could just sort of throw this in the garbage and move on. Sure. But if they own 50%, it's actually on their books. Like this is press release for them if it doesn't work out. And and they can't, and it's also a press release for them to announce it because this now is a, a thing that their company is doing. Right. So Stockpicker was like a social media company and it was a way for the street.com to say, hey, we're fully in the social media game, which is getting such yeah. high valuations. And their valuation did go up. So, uh, uh, so I immediately, and I saw other negotiations where the street.com did take the 3% and those companies ended up going bankrupt sure. during the great recession, I instead got acquired and absorbed into the company. So, so 50% of something, as they say, is worth more than, you know, hundred percent of nothing. So, yeah. so sometimes 
you, you can't you can't be a pig, particularly over equity, because you have to look at the long game that you might be giving up 50% of a much bigger pie as opposed to 3% of a tiny Absolutely. pie. So you have to have this long game in, and I still use the advice technique, but it got me to that point. Yeah, I I think it's I think advice technique works oftentimes because again, you want to be collaborative with people, and and I think it comes back to your point you talk about in that article. You don't want to deal with people you don't like. You don't want to deal with people you don't want to be around, right? Then what's the point of dealing business with them? Like, right? I agree, and I've done so many negotiations and done deals with people I don't like, uh, particularly when I was first in the deal business, and it's it's painful because then you're then you're in it with them. You're in the boat together and yeah. you might be on that ocean for a long time in, in, the, in a leaky boat and you need to enjoy yeah. each other. So you, know, you don't need to like love each other, but you need to respect and, and, and be able to work together. So, so, you know, the advice, te- the other thing the advice technique does is if they give you something that's ridiculously low after you ask for their advice, you know that they're not a good person. Yeah. And since we already discussed, you have to be able to walk away. That should give you enough reason to walk away. Even if you're afraid to walk away, even if you're telling yourself, I'm not going to yeah. pay my mortgage next month unless I do this deal. Yeah. You just got to be able to walk away. Like if you know, if you're selling your car and you have to sell your car because you can't pay your rent next month. Yeah. But if they offer you, oh, I'll pay you $50 for this car cuz it's a piece of junk, you just you walk away. And and you say, "Look, it's worth at least 600." Uh uh that's what the blue book says. That's what uh you know, I could still drive this. So, uh, uh, you know, maybe maybe if you really need a car, come back to me. One thing I've learned since I've started working with you, I think it's very instructive because, you know, you wrote Choose Yourself. And one thing I always found very interesting about that is you talk about, like, people write about what a problem they're trying to solve, right? Like, I believe you made a comment about Brad Pitt. And Brad Pitt's not writing a book about trying to pick up. <laughs> right, right. So, so, right. The reason I'm able to, the reason I've studied negotiation so much is, honestly, on a financial level, I've probably made over realistically like 80 to 100 negotiations. Actually, maybe a little more because every time I invested in something was a negotiation. But uh, also you realize when you do so many negotiations, you realize how often these techniques apply to everything you're negotiating yeah. in life, in, in every relationship. Because uh, negotiation, you're really just either setting the terms of a relationship or like I said before, setting the terms of your slavery. So being aware of that, yeah. you, you want to make sure it's a good, positive relationship as opposed to the worst outcome. But you know, all of these techniques are important. It's not like you're being manipulative. The, yeah. Again, both sides have to be happy, but you're trying to make sure you're at least as happy as possible. And 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 if the negotiation is a good negotiation, both sides will be happy. But Carl, what I was going to say initially, though, when you talk about choosing yourself, like I realize you you run into problems, and I guess you also talk about in framing it as well. Like you have a lot of choices. Okay, in the case of the person with the car, okay, they could sell it for $50 or whatever. They could live in the car. They could ask somebody else. Like, I don't know. You know, like, if if you're you're never in a good situation when you are so tied down to that specific well, I'll, situation. I'll give, you, I'll give yeah. you a great example of that. So one time I owned a, what's called a public shell. So I owned a public company that had no business in it. It was a company that what that went bankrupt in 19 I think it was 1969 but they always once you're public you're kind of always public with the right. SEC so uh and there's a market for or there used to be it's the laws have changed a little bit there's a market for these shells because what happens is a real company now can merge rather than have a, a, a an IPO like Uber yeah. just did 
a real company that's not public can merge with my public shell and now they're public. So that's another way of going, doing an IPO. Yeah. So instead of them spending a right. million dollars to go public, they spend whatever the price of my shell is. So initially for, a, for years, yeah. I was trying to work out a deal where I would pick the private company and merge it into my shell, keep a small percentage, and then work with this private, this newly right. public company to become big. And then maybe I would make millions and millions of dollars. But I just could never, I tried and I tried and tried. I could never get a deal done. I don't right. know why. So I just reframed it. I said, look, I'm not doing it, but I own this asset. And I kind of see where the laws are going. Right. They're kind of changing on how you, it's going to make it easier actually for companies to go public. Uh, so I found another investor who was invested in a lot of private companies. And I said, can I sell you this shell? Wow. And we worked. He was desperate to, not desperate, right. but he had a lot of private companies and and he had a sense that he wanted to uh, bring one of them public. So he was a little bit uh, more more needy for a company than most. And I, I said, I used the advice technique. I said, look, I'm, I'm new to this. I don't really know sure. what a shell goes for. I anchored, I think the market is somewhere around a half a million dollars. So so right. I, I, I anchored knowing that was a little bit high and he's like half a million, that's ridiculous. Um, and so, uh, but, but, he offered 200,000 and I'm, and I hesitated for a second. He said, and I could wire it the money tomorrow. Wow. Um, because I anchored it, even though I got much less, I got something else, which was the speed. Speed is an important factor of sure. negotiation. So that's how I got rid of that problem. And it allowed me, yes, I did not make millions right. on that shell, which was my initial sure. goal, but I was able to at least move on. And in fact, that's when I started my social media company because yeah. I now had the time and energy to do that instead of worrying about this shell. But I think a lot of it is, again, any negotiation, right, is, is about trust or finding the right partner. And I knew, like, in certain situations, yeah, you, you're going to have more bargaining power. You're going to have – I knew when I started with you, for example, I knew you wanted what I was selling, but I also knew you wanted it badly. Like, you wanted to be the best at this. You wanted – I felt like I could help you. I knew – I wanted to be in this situation. Right. And so potentially yeah. you could have taken advantage of that, yeah. but uh, not really taking advantage of the wrong word. Yeah. You, I think you, I said to you, if you have a plan, it works once you have a partner, it worked a lifetime. Right. Even then I was giving you a lot so of quotes. You, you did a good negotiation and we worked out a negotiation that, yeah. that was happy for both. Uh, uh, you know, with, um, but I also think that you could be in certain situations and that person doesn't really care that much, you know? And I think, uh, you know, we I know we both like the TV show Succession. They had some cool negotiation scene, scenes there, you know, and yeah. there's scenes where that person is kind of like, I don't care. You know what I mean? Well, or well, like that last scene with Stewie and that, you know, well, a lot of well, people don't watch the show, but, you well, know. And, and, yeah. and you don't know like uh, in that where, you know, because again, it's 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 for, you know, an audience of millions. Yeah. So they're not going to get into the, the weeds of negotiation. But the, the main technique was I could walk away. And that's what scared right. everybody, and that's what closed the deal. Now, I just want to mention, by the way, um, under information is power. So understanding as much as possible about the agendas of who you're negotiating with is very important. Yeah. So for instance, I'll, I'll give two examples. One is, how did I happen to own a public shell? Well, it was 2008 when I bought it. There was the Great Recession was happening, meaning let's say you owned a hedge fund. Yeah. Let's say you're running a hedge fund, and all your investors are are they need all their money back. So your hedge fund's going out of business. There's nothing you can do about it. There's no way I can help you. And you just want to shut it down. Legally, you just want to shut it down. Um, I was an investor in that hedge fund. I said, look, I'll give you a dollar for the shell. Wow. So I bought that that shell yeah. for a dollar. Wow. And there was nothing. They had already 
gotten rid of every investor's money except me. And I, and I wow. wanted my money out, but I gave them a little bit more favorable terms. Like you can give me my money over a year, but I want the shell right now. And, Amazing. and so yeah. I was able to, to, to get my money back, but it took a year. It took longer. Right. And I got the shell for a dollar because they couldn't monetize the shell anyway. So sure. they figured if I'm going to, and they were spending just on audits, they were spending 50,000 a year running the hedge sure. fund. I helped them close it down as fast as possible. They couldn't sell the shell anyway in 2008 because nobody yeah. was buying. There was a, the market was zero. They had, they would have had to wait right. two or three years like I did. And I was able to buy it for a dollar. Or, uh, when you're, um, I was talking to Dean Graziosi about this, you know, after an hour long conversation of studying how he does negotiations in real estate, he goes to like, I don't know, the state public information and he finds out who owes in an area who owes tax liens or who recently got divorced or who, who, uh, recently died. And he knows he has a favorable negotiating position in those situations sure. so he can get lower, uh, a lower amount than the comparables. And so that's how he'll go into a negotiation is, is prepared with information. So he knows that his range might lean more on the downside. The, 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 the seller's yeah. range, he, he might be able to, both sides might be happy with a lower number. Well, I also, th I think a lot of this, right. And you've talked about obviously a lot of 10,000 hours of practice or, but I think like whenever you do anything, there's, you first go through like familiarity, competence, excellence, and mastery. And I think certain times you get familiar or competent, you know, like knowing, like you said, the cliches of, okay, you have to be ready to walk away or you have to make it a win-win or you have to solve problems. And then as you go into it, you know, somebody like Chris Voss would have a lot more nuanced or Herb Cohen or more different, but people have done it a lot. They'll have certain techniques. And it's the same thing you talk about with comedy where, okay, like the, right. you have to you have to show empathy. Well, how do you show empathy? Well, when you're speaking to that person, maybe you ask them open-ended questions and maybe you ask them how instead of why. Because if you say how, it's more expansive. Well, you know, so, so I feel like right now I'm a little babe in the woods, but I'll no, work but on that's it. A very good, yeah. That's a, a great insight because um, Chris Voss, who was the FBI's chief negotiator, his first technique in how to be a good negotiator is to ask how. So if the terrorist says, I need a million dollars by tomorrow, dropped off in a bag at the airport, um, Chris Voss will say, okay, fine, but can you just walk me through how I can get that to you? So now it engages them in the problem solving process that Chris has to go through. So he's making them a partner in how to get this done. And he starts to visualize it too. Like, oh, wow, I could see a path for this to get done. You know what I mean? I right. could, so then that, and, and, that's, and, that's and, and it feels like Chris is taking him seriously and like, right. and he's part of their part of the process. Like the guy could say, well, I don't know, you're America, go to the bank and there's a million dollars right. lying around. Or the guy could realize, hmm, maybe by tomorrow it's hard. What about a week? Yeah. From now? Um, but, but you know, the other thing he's that, establishing himself as a partner. Right. And you know, that's, I like these tech, like an obvious technique is you should always be able to walk away again. Not everyone can do that. Particularly if you need, if you feel like, and again, this is an illusion, but if right. you feel like you need the deal to be done, it's harder for you to walk away. Or if you're non-confrontational, it's harder for you to walk away. Or if they say something manipulative, like, don't you trust me? It's harder to walk but away. Can I, I want to just say one thing because I, I do belatedly want to give tribute to one of my close friends who is very good at this. And I remember five or six years ago, I came up with a TV show and I was dealing with these people and I was so desperate to get it. So, you know, and I was a wimp and he would be telling me things, you know, to do things. And he was right, but I don't think I had the guts to do it you know, and he had done it a lot of times. And so, and I remember he would give me advice. He's like, no, it's not the way you do a deal. You need to, and I was like, well, come on, man. You know, and I felt like, 
I would just like get the deal done. And later on, okay, you know, I would learn, okay, you'll take a bad deal. And I do think it's kind of like that expression. Like if you if you settle for less than you deserve, you'll get then less than what you even settled for. Or like Megan Kelly had written that book, you know, uh, the only difference between you and those person people whose life you envy is you settled for less and they settled for more. And I think you just have to act your way into a way of thinking rather than think your way into a way of acting. Because maybe if you, five, six years ago, if I had the cojones to say, no, I agree. Like, this is the right way to do it. I don't well, want to wait five years. You know, you you have to jump off the bridge sometime. You might as well do it then, right? Like, well, you're going to have to learn how to do it. Is uh, that what you learned? Yeah, I mean, I didn't know. So thank you, Michael Rockin. I didn't know. Uh, what was his name? Michael Rockin. You met Michael, my friend okay. from LA. I, I don't didn't have that know, many friends. Hard to keep up. I didn't know anything about negotiation, and I'm always desperate. Right. <laughs> so almost in every negotiation I enter, I feel like I'm the desperate one, and the other person doesn't care at all. So that puts me. Uh, that's why I have to use. I have to remind myself of these techniques, is because that's my initial inclination. But I remember one time. This is 1999, and I was. We were negotiating. Me and another guy who was a great negotiator. So ex Wall Street banker, we were negotiating starting a venture capital fund with another firm, and they offered us $125 million to start this, right. not, not to give to us, but they were going to set up the fund with $125 million, right. and then we would invest that money for them. But we would get big fees off of that money. And I said to them, they faxed the offer to us, and I said to them, and, and there was terms, the normal terms for a venture capital fund. I, I said, Mark, respond immediately, like, take it. Like, this is, right. they're going to change their mind. This is the last chance we're going to have to start, you know, a, a venture capital right. fund. And he, he, he was like, he even talked slowly. He was like, hey, ease up. Let's just, I need to think about this. You know, we've got a weekend. Let me just, right. we'll get back to them Monday or Tuesday. Let me just think about this. And, and I was like so anxious all weekend. And he comes in Monday. He's like, you know, there are some term, instead of 20% of a before, I wanted to ask for 25% um, right. because we're special. So, you know, and he's kind of saying we're, we're different than they're not going to find people like us. Yeah. He's, he's trying to having faith over fear. And not even just that he's trying to define very specifically how we're different. He oh, was a wall street banker and I was a technologist. So we combined yeah. two different special skills that weren't in other New York city based VC funds. Tastes great. Less filling. <laughs> there you go. And, uh, he actually ended up Pretty much, I mean, he asked for like 10 different things and he actually got every yeah. single thing he wanted. And then later on, of course, there was the internet bust. The same firm wanted to unwind the deal. They wanted out right. of the deal wow. and they wanted their money back. And, and he's, and I said, and they offered, you know, to pay us three years of right. our salaries. And he's like, uh, let me think about this. And they actually specifically said, we don't want, his name was Mark. We don't want Mark to get anything because wow. he was quitting because oh, wow. uh, he had, had another job. But we let him do the negotiation because he was such a great negotiator. And and we, under the right. table, made sure he was taken care of. Wow. Uh, he, he said, let me think about this. Uh, and he ended up getting... And why know, was Mark so good, though? He had been a, 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 a Wall Street banker. He had he had negotiated hundreds of but But I also think, like, because we, we, you know... And been... his patience was very good. And uh, he also knew how to stress the positives. He, he, he understood what areas you could talk about where they needed us more than we needed them. So they were more interested in getting their money back than we seemed to be in making the money. Oh, like they were so desperate that we would stop investing before they could get control of the money back that he took advantage of that and said, look, he would say, 
we have a lot of exciting things that we're going to invest in. And they were like, no, 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 what do you want? And so- But I do think a lot of it, like a negotiation, and we've been fortunate to have like people like Mike Ovitz on or Steven Schwartzman, and these are very successful people in that space. And when you look at them, it's like- they were like this when they were in 20, though. Some of the, You know what I mean? Like right. some of them, and they got that by just acting like that. Like right. you're going to, if you want to be a fighter, you have to fight. You so, can't like wait. You have to, you know what I mean? And, and I think I liked Mel Robbins has something to the effect like, oh, don't say I'm a procrastinator. Say I have a habit of procrastinating. And so I probably shouldn't say I'm a bad negotiator. You know, you can to disarm the other side. But we self-reject in some cases is what I'm saying. But the reason why I like to say it is because I'm reinforcing in myself that, A, I'm avoiding the, the so-called Dunning-Kruger effect, which is the bias to think yeah. that you're great, and I have to avoid that because you know, yeah, yeah. I know if I didn't have these techniques and if I didn't have yeah. this experience with you know 100 other skilled negotiators, I would be horrible. The other is, it's like we've had a podcast with Todd Herman, the alter yeah. ego effect. Before I go into a negotiation... I really think about all of these great negotiators I've I've worked with, not just studied, but worked with, and and figure out what would Mark yeah. do, what would Tom do, what would these different people yeah. do that I've worked with. Um, I want to get to a couple of things sure. that are not so obvious before we end the podcast. One time, I w- that could be Mark. This is somebody I do a lot of negotiations with, actually. Dan, shout out to Dan, <laughs> who never takes a deal that he doesn't want. Uh, uh, somehow he's always is able to say no, but, uh, uh, who are you texting on the phone? No, no, I'm listening to, I'm seeing, I'm going to check my notes. You said I want to get some other things and I was honestly trying to be quiet. This anchors me to be quiet. If I'm looking at my phone, I'm not chatty patty. So I'm looking at my notes. So I am looking at my notes because I want to make sure we cover it. So, so, uh, one time I had a, uh, 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 this guy on the board of directors of a company I started, uh, see, when you're talking on the phone, I th- yeah, I'm you're right. I mean, we, no, that's why I have to have the waiter's pad. You're see, right. I'm going to just take this by phone. Yeah. You know, there's actually research that shows yes. if you're on a, a date, for instance, yeah. not that we're on a date, but if ever I go get on one. If you're on a date and you have just the phone face down on the table, the date likes you less than if you have the phone. No, no, 100%. Hiding. That's why I have your waiter's pads. I have your waiter's pads. So, so, Bye, Felicia. So I was once, um, there's this guy I knew. His name was actually Dr. Larry Brilliant. And he was, um, at one point, he was the head of Google.org, Google's charities. In the 70s, he went all around India and vaccinated. You know, India was against, uh, the, the, the different villages were against vaccination. He convinced everybody to vaccinate for smallpox. And he, he basically single-handedly eradicated uh, smallpox in India. He also, um, uh, in a much longer story I won't repeat here, he reported me to the FBI about the, uh, that the FBI should talk to me about Osama bin Laden right after 9-11. That's another story. Friends like him who needs enemas. <laughs> but what, one time I was uh, with him and we were uh, at this convention at the World Trade Center, ironically, uh, looking at, he collected antique coins and he was negotiating for these like antique uh, Israeli coins from like 500 BC. And I asked him about negotiation. He was the CEO of a public company at the time and seemed to be worth a lot more than he deserved, I will say. <laughs> and uh, uh, he, he, he said to me, the most important thing is uh, to be able to say have a bigger list than the other person. So if you come to me with a raise and say, "Hey, I want to make ten percent more," I could say, you know, my list could be bigger. Like, okay, well, I need you to work on these other things as well as yeah. just the podcast, or I need you to to um, sure. instead of three weeks vacation, it's two weeks, and uh, uh, or or can you help me with? 
We got uh, vacation? Yeah. So, 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 or, or if I'm negotiating to sell a company, someone could say, oh, okay, I'm going to give you X dollars. And I could say, if I have a bigger list, I could say, look, X dollars is great, but I need, um, this salary. I need it to be a three-year contract where I get this salary. I, I need to, um, uh, have benefits and a six week vacation. And so again, whoever has the bigger list has more opportunities to give up the, as, as Dr. Larry brilliant said to me, uh, if you, you, if you have the bigger list, you can give up the nickels to make the dimes. And so that was yeah. his point as I'm just, uh, quickly going over that. Um, uh, you know, the really important thing, I have so many different points in here, but, and I don't even know if I mentioned this one in this particular article, but there's something I call the formula technique, which has been used against me. And it was so powerful used against me at least two or three different times that I finally woke up and realized, oh, I missed out on making a lot more money because this technique was used against me. So let's say, let's say we could think of anything, house, um, uh, 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 a salary increase, a company, whatever, but I'll, I'll use the example. Widgets. <laughs> widgets. I'll use the example of a company. Cause this is, this is one way it was explained to me. A friend of mine owned a company uh, he didn't own it. He was an investor. It was a company called Spinner.com. Do you remember that company from the 90s? Um, they were like a Spotify, but oh, in the okay. 90s. Oh, okay. And AOL bought it for $300 million. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, I said to him, Ed, did this company, he was on the board, did this company even have revenues? And he's like, no, not really. Did it have profits? Definitely not. We lost a ton of money. And I'm like, how can uh, AOL spend that why would they spend 300 million for a company with no profits? And he, and he said, because we reframed the conversation. Yeah. So here's what we do. We both agreed in advance that, um, uh, what the formula was before we filled in the blanks. So instead of saying, normally the way you value a company is on the stock market, you say, oh, the average company like Exxon or Microsoft is worth 20 times their earnings. That's like a rough, very, very rough rule of thumb yeah. on how a company is valued on the stock market. There's a lot more issues, but that's, that's the rough thing. So if you, if, if, if a company earns a million, then 20 million is reasonable for a mature yeah. company to pay for it. But he did something fascinating, which he says, if we valued it on our own earnings or revenues, our, the value would have been extremely small. We didn't have any earnings. We barely had revenues. They would just be buying the technology. Instead, we reframed it and said, look, AOL, you have, um, a hundred million users. And we know, here's the math. We know you can make $3 from each. You no, know, we know you can make $6 from each user yeah. over the next two years. So just cut that in half. Or he, he, he did it. He, right. he, he did it without the numbers. He said, he said, let's figure out AOL. Do you agree with this? Let's figure out how much money you would make from each user with our technology over the next two years. And then we'll cut it in half for safety for you. So he's putting it in their terms like, oh, so now it's up to them. They'll figure out how much they're going to make per user. And then they're going to cut it in half to provide extra right. safety. So they know they can argue to AOL shareholders, hey, we made a good deal because we're going to yeah. double the value of this company in, in two years. And that we're going to make so much more in profits. So uh, uh, they figured out, okay, we can make 6 to $10 per user over the next two years using our technology. Cut it in half, maybe cut it in half again. It's $300 million. And that's how they arrived. So they came up with a formula first. So when I was selling stock picker, the, the CFO said, oh yeah, we want to buy it. We'll do whatever. Let's come up with a good deal. And he's saying to me, he's like, how about, um, we, we, we know how much advertising we could put on every single page of stock picker. And we know how much 
each ad is worth. So how about we figure out for next year uh, how much all your ads are worth, and we'll just cut that in half because you know there's some expenses, and then we could say the deal is what's called accretive. Like we'll we'll do good, good we'll all do good from the accretive. And then I started thinking, I started putting numbers in my head. Oh my god, is he offering me sixty million dollars? And because that's when yeah. when I applied the formula, that's what I was thinking was when I filled in the blanks of the numbers. So I agreed. Yeah, that's a good formula to use. And he and he came up with the process. Okay, here's how we'll figure it out. I'll bring in the head of marketing. He'll tell me how much you actually make right. per ad. And he's got all the data. He'll bring all the documents. Right. So he brings in the head of marketing. So it's an outside person. It's like an objective. We both now are on right. our side right. agreeing to a formula. Now there's the head of marketing who doesn't know the formula we agreed to. He brings in all the data. Like, oh, no, you make you know this amount per ad. And it was like one tenth or whatever of what I thought. Right. But I had already agreed. Right. We had already negotiated the formula. I can't just say, well, no, I want X. Because right. then it's just me being a baby. We already agreed right. to the right. formula and we right. agreed that was a smart way to value the company. Sure. And so it ended up being 10 million, which I'm not complaining, but it's 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 interesting to me how all these successful negotiators framed um uh uh, uh the He deal. So, anchored it as a high number. And do you think he did it intentionally? No, he he anchored no, he anchored the formula and he didn't necessarily give it. He didn't give any number. You, I'm the one in my okay. brain, my imagination. Okay. I thought, well, the numbers are this. And, and it was based on my, I didn't have as much information. Fuzzy math. Yeah. I didn't have, I thought the numbers were different, but, uh, it turns out, uh, they were different than I thought. And this guy proved. And you could have used different metrics too, right? The right. Same? I could have, I could have come up with a completely different formula. I could right. have said, instead of looking at next year, how about we look five years out? Right. So, right. or, 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 you know, whatever. Um, but we, we, we said, how about you make, he, he gave all the whole formula. How about you make a salary? That's like this right. percentage of the sale. Oh, and wow. so we figured everything out before we knew any numbers. And then he call, called in an outside objective person, sure. supposedly to give us the numbers. Cause he knew really what the numbers were. And, but he, he knew I was going to need proof. If otherwise I would think he gave right. me that formula. So if you had to do it again and again, the outcome was was a great outcome for you. Maybe not as if I had to do it again, I could reframe the conversation. I could say, listen, social media companies are worth a hundred times earnings. You're right now worth 15 times earnings. So the the value of your company is going to go up by 500 million. Once we do this deal, which actually it did. Right. And, uh, I could have negotiated as a percentage of that. Sure. 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 So I could have come up with a completely different formula, and then we would have negotiated formulas. Which one thing we didn't talk about, I know we're trying to wrap up, but I think it's kind of like you always talk about framing. And it's the same way when I was a producer at Channel 5 at Local Fox. And they would say, wow, look at us. We only make this. And I'm like, what about 20th Century Fox? What about The Simpsons? What about like NFL football? You know what I mean? So I could have put it in that whole grand scheme of things rather than just their little TV state. You know what I mean? And they could still say no, and it still probably wouldn't work. Salary negotiate. I mean, people think might be listening to this and think, well, that's selling a company. How do you do that with the salary? It's the same thing. You can agree with your boss that like, okay, here's one type of formula. How about we, I don't, I need a, a raise. I've been here for 15 years or 10 years or five years. And- uh, uh, I could say, let's look at just the comparables in the industry, people with my title, yeah. what do they make? And I'll just, I'll agree to that. I don't know where they, right. I'll, I'll agree to that. And you, you get the right. your boss to agree to that for me. Or you could say, listen, when I was working 40 hours a week, I was making this, but now it's been three years, right. it's been a little bit of inflation and I now work 
45 hours a week right. on average. It turns out it's I'm here 45 yeah. hours a week. So haven't we just increased according to the percentage increase in hours I worked and inflation? And so you right. can read of that formula. Or, uh, or, 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 or uh, you know, you could say, look, it turns out that my responsibilities uh, turned out to make a profit rather than a cost. So I'm in the IT department of yeah. a, an entertainment company. So usually that's a cost center. Turns out I made a prop, profit, which I mean, it made a product, which the company, and it was my idea, the company's yeah. making a small profit on. How, how about yeah. I get a percentage of those, whatever right. those profits are, my new salary should be a percentage of those profits. And, uh, and based on that. So there's many ways to calculate a formula. If you're selling a house, the guy, the person, yeah. the person could say, Hey, well, the comps, here's a, yeah. uh, here's, here's a house, the exact same square foot as your house. And it's sold for 500,000. I could say, uh, okay, that's a reasonable way, but you know, a lot of houses are sold. How about we just, I don't know how many rooms are in the house. Yeah. How about we say, I've got, I've got three rooms and three bathrooms. How about we just, um, compare if I'm, if I'm less than that other, these other comparables, yeah. then I'm worth less. If I'm more then I'm worth more. Now you should know kind of the answer in advance yeah. when you're suggesting this, but again, there's lots of ways of framing a formula. And this is why knowing these techniques are so important because you're seeing that negotiation it's, it's not, there is no, there is zero science. Like even when I yeah. said, oh, Microsoft should be valued at 20 times earnings. That's based on a hundred other factors, but that's just a rule of thumb. And so everything yeah, there's a lot of rules of thumb, but you should know the actual techniques for good negotiation. I, I was listening to a woman speak. Uh, I want to say her name is Margaret Dean at Stanford, and she's like counsels on this. And the phrase she used was like, "Okay, I can give you a specific recipe, or I can give you just like the sense of like, okay, these are some of the ingredients you need, and then you'll be able to make a nice souffle or good negotiation." Or, or, or you know what? Actually, yeah. that made me think of another type of salary negotiation. You could say, "Listen, bake them a cake." I, I, um, we can do comparables, which seems to be the same as my salary sure. now, but how about also once a week, I give a training class to everybody else oh, wow. on what, how to do right, more what value. I do extra. And now you would pay somebody, let's say another 60,000 a year or, or, or whatever you would pay somebody to Making do that per year. Just give me half of that. And now we have another formula. Well, but, what would you pay somebody? Let's find it out. Let's look it up. Oh, you would pay 30,000 a year for a training course on that. I'll do it for an extra 15 to my salary. So, so there's lots of ways to develop formulas, whether you're selling a house, a, a job, selling a piece of yeah. art, uh, uh, selling a company, uh, and so on. I think I was going to say, I heard, again, Chris Voss, who you did it, I would recommend people to listen to your interview who wrote Don't Split the Difference, that hostage negotiator, and he has, I believe he has a company called Black Swan, but he talked about like every single day we go through dozens, if not, you know, hundreds of negotiations, right? And he said, whenever you say, I want or I need, you're negotiating. Today, like I was trying to meet people for dinner. What part of town are we meeting in? Where are we going to go? You know, every day. Like you, like this morning, I was at DEF CON 1. I want to provide value for this podcast. And I was busy. And then a couple people called me and they were like, buddy, I need your help. And I first said, no. You know, let me think about it. No. And I said, tic tac, no, Pasadena. They're like, come on, I really need your help. Didn't I do this for you? And eventually I folded like a cheap suit and I wound up helping them because I listened to other factors or I got mostly involved or I was like, okay, maybe in the grand scheme of things, when you frame it, me helping you and these people with breast cancer is a bigger issue than my specific thing. So every day you have negotiations. No, I think you, <laughs> I think you, I think you undervalue yourself. I yeah. see this all the time. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're, 
You, you, I have to know how to say no. You have so much value in so many ways. It's a yeah. topic of another yeah, yeah. podcast. You should start your let's own. Do, let's do that podcast, should, Steve's Value. You, you That'll take 100 a, a hours. You company and write a yeah. book and, and yeah. do all Yeah, no, you're great. Like, that's um, why I appreciate it. Uh, you know, but, but mentioning um, Chris Voss, I do want to mention a couple of his techniques really quickly. One is, I think, genius, which is um, to make the other, to ask the other side or imply the other side might be powerless. So... Uh, if you, if he's negotiating with the hostage negotiator and he's not getting anywhere, he might say, or sorry, if he's, if he's negotiating with the guy holding the hostages, the terrorist, and he feels like he's not making progress, he might say something like, sounds like you're powerless to solve this, which is fine. Just oh, who wow. should I be talking right. to? Cause we want to solve this. We want to get you what you want, but it sounds like you're powerless. And they're always going to say no and move closer to a deal. At least he finds it in right. his experience. So that's a very uh, quick thing. Um, the other thing, which I thought was genius, and again, this is why it's worth studying these things because I would never think yeah. of these things by myself, but he's done a thousand negotiations and I've seen other people do this. And now since then, I've used these techniques and they're extremely valuable. He he is a technique called mirroring. So if someone says on a salary negotiation, uh, uh, we can't go higher than 100,000 on salary because that's what everyone else is making is $100,000. You just simply say, that's what everyone else is making, and then you're silent. He also talked about having an inflection, like you have a certain inflection, so that causes them to kind of want to elaborate on it. You know, he well, practices well, right, that, right? That's related. So, yeah. So you, you mirror, and then you're silent, and then they keep talking. They're going to keep yeah, talking. Yeah, sure. So you're just mirroring. So they're going to kind of elaborate yeah. on what they just said, and then you you have to be silent. Yeah, it's a real strong discipline. You have to be silent. Um, uh, also, this is not only a common negotiating technique but a common persuasion technique when the negotiation and, and persuasion are related. But I find this useful negotiation, which is to say, uh, I can understand why you wouldn't do this for this reason, this reason, and this reason. But then you, if you list the negatives, you're, you're showing them you're being extremely honest and you're helping them solve their problems. You're, you're helping them negotiate with their boss, just like you're negotiating to yeah. help you. Yeah. You're helping them be a champion for you. Because, uh, and again, by being upfront, it's better for you to bring up the negatives before they bring up the negatives because then it sounds like you're if they bring up the negatives, you're hiding something. So if 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 I'm negotiating selling a house, you could you could say, look, we've got this extra room in the basement. Now I understand it's a basement and we had to install plumbing and it's so it's all new and it, the bathroom's a little smaller than the usual bathroom, but it is an extra room. So you 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 have to yeah. you have to list the negatives up front. Is it you have to define technique. it before they define it. Right. And um, let me see if there's any last, there's so many, I just love uh, the, the game of this in a weird way. I'll tell you another one. This is a great one that Carl Icahn, so he's a famous negotiator, uh, famous investors made billions from negotiating. He will always schedule his negotiations for late at night, like, not late at night, but like at the end of the working day, like 6 PM, 7 PM. And, uh, he'll sleep all day oh, and wow. they're up all day at their jobs. Wow. And then he'll meet, go into the meeting fully refreshed because there's something called uh, willpower depletion. So if you're offered, yeah. let's say you love chocolate, but you're trying to lose weight. If you're offered chocolate at 9 a.m., you'll say, no, thanks. I'm trying to lose weight. If you're offered chocolate at 6 p.m., your your willpower gets depleted. They've studied this. Yeah. Your willpower gets depleted throughout the day. You're you're uh, uh, ten times more likely to say yes to the chocolate at six p.m. because you have no more willpower. Fatigue left. makes cowards of us all. Yeah, and and so so at if he's sets the stage, Carl Icahn sets the stage where he has full willpower and the other people have yeah. are depleted. So I think 
that's again another technique you wouldn't know unless yeah. you yeah. study this almost like a a, a, a science. Um, uh, you know, one last thing I will I will say it's what I call uh, uh, the secret negotiation. So it might be the case you're negotiating a deal because you want to make a lot of money and you want to move on to something else. So you want to sell a company or you want to sell a house for as much as possible, and then you're going to start. Your 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 secret thing is just to right. never deal with this again, or you're gonna you're gonna quit that you're selling your company, you're gonna quit the company and move on, or you're gonna. But you should always be aware. What's your real agenda? So I'll give the example in selling doing a book deal. In a book deal, is your real agenda to make a lot of money on a book, or is it to just have a book out there so you can start charging more for speaking gigs? In which case, don't be as hard on the negotiation. Right. Get a deal done so now you can charge more. For speaking sure gigs. so make sure you understand and you know the flip side is don't if you're doing a book deal but you want the the book to do well it's actually it's it's a subtlety but you want to make sure the publisher is giving you more than six figures not because you're going to make more than a hundred thousand dollars but because if they're putting that kind of commitment into the book they're also going to spend probably more than that on marketing. If they only give you 50, so they'll try to give you for a first book deal for most authors, they'll try to give you 10, 15, $20,000 right. or even less. And they'll say, look, it's a great thing for you. You know, you don't have a track record. Sure. We'll, we'll build a relationship with you. We're going to market this. But if they're only giving you a $10,000 advance, they're not going to market it. And they're going to try to get you. They're only going to market it. If you, if it seems like your book's going to do right. well, but if they give you $250,000, they're definitely going to spend time marketing it or someone's going to get fired. And you see that in other industries, like if somebody is drafted first overall in sports and they're paying them millions of dollars, well, the person they draft in the seventh round may be better and not, you know, unless that person really, really is outshines that other person, they don't want the, they have the sunken cost and that. Right. Yeah. It's the same thing like what I was saying before, like this guy wanted 50%, I wanted yeah. him to take 30%. Yeah. He, when you're, when someone's more invested, they're more, there's this intangible stuff that's going to happen after the deal closes. If someone's more invested, they're going to keep working for you, uh, in intangible ways. They're going to market you more. They're going to champion your cause. Yeah. Oh, one more thing relating to this. So one time I was involved in a negotiation where a company, I was in the meeting, a company was selling itself to, to GE. So general electric, which owned NBC at the time offered a, a in the room, the negotiator on GE side offered a billion dollars and said, we'll close by November 1st. This is right. a long time ago. And so I went back to the CEO of the company I was helping the negotiation with. And I told him the conversation and I, and he said, there is, a, there is a, I will tell you right now, there is a 0% chance this deal happens. Wow. And I said to him, Tom, they offered, they, the right. deals closed. They said a billion dollars and we'll close wow. by November 1st. And he said, doesn't matter. I don't care what they said to you. The, it, the highest person you spoke to, the person making that offer is five levels from the, the oh, CEO. Wow. And if that's the highest champion you have, you know, you don't have an actual champion within the company and you need a champion on the right. other side to get a deal like this done. I will tell you right now, there is a 0% chance if that's your highest champion, doesn't matter what they said. And he was exactly right. Wow. And actually they were extremely smart. They figured out a way to get the exact value we were offering, but for probably one three hundredth the price. Wow! So there, wow. so uh, to Jeff Zucker's credit, who was the head of NBC, he figured out a way around the wow. whole deal to pay three million instead of a billion. Wow, that's amazing. So, so these techniques are yeah, extremely important to be aware absolutely. of. There's so much. There, and again, it's art and not science. I mean, there's a tiny bit of science, like for instance, the anchoring and other cognitive biases, but. 
it's all together. How you use them as a, as a toolbox uh, that, that makes it art. Like which tool do you use in which situation and how do you use it? And like you said, the inflection and, and the psychology of it and understanding the other person's agendas and, and, and working for them. Like you want to make sure they're praised for this deal yeah. uh, uh, by their bosses. So, uh, but, but I also think a big lesson that I learned is if you apply it into your personal life, right? Like, like sometimes you are negotiating something. Hey, let's all get together. Well, what time should we eat? Where should we eat? What restaurant? Vegan, non-vegan. But, um, but then I find myself, if, if I find myself to be a person where every time you do something with them, you're doing it in their neighborhood, you're paying, you, you're doing it when they want to do it, then maybe those aren't the people you want to be doing business with, right? I, I agree, yeah. but it, that may be, or it may not be. It just depends yeah. on the negotiation of how you yeah. don't negotiate. The other thing is very important. I, I know I keep yeah. saying finalizing. Don't negotiate against yourself. Right. <laughs> so, so like a lot, and I do this. Uh, you and I yeah. are probably similar because we're non-confrontational. And you see real estate agents do this all the time. Look, they're offering 2000 a month rent, but there's wiggle room. Don't say so fast that there's yeah. wiggle room. Let it hang yeah. out there a little bit, yeah, yeah. $2,000, so at least the anchoring yeah. happens. If you say there's wiggle room in, within one second, then I know, okay, it's yeah. not $2,000, it's $1,700 or whatever. Right, 100%. So, 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 you can undermine yourself. Yeah, there's yeah. so many ways people undermine themselves in negotiation because they're not confrontational. And so the average person thinks they're a great negotiator and the average person is non-confrontational. So you could take advantage yeah. of both those things. Advantage is the wrong word, but that's part of the, of the art and science of it as well. So I will say this, uh, if you like this sort of podcast, it's a little bit more how-to and um, in this case it was business-oriented not but or psychology-oriented, uh, but it's based on hundreds of podcasts and experiences and so on that, 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 that we and I have had. Uh, uh, if you like this, please put it in the reviews, wherever you review podcasts, subscribe to the podcast. And by the way, ask questions about negotiation in the reviews and we'll do another podcast answering all the questions. So thanks so much. And Steve, thank you. Thank for you very much. James. Playing thank counterpoint, you. even though yeah. I interrupted you. No, constantly. no, no, no. It was great. Uh, that was our negotiation. You <laughs> texted a little bit on the phone. I interrupted and, uh, Thanks, everybody. Remember, ask questions in the review. Subscribe. Have fun. Tell your friends. Uh, or keep this to yourself so you can negotiate against your friends. And <laughs> enjoy. Wait, 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 wait. Before you go, don't forget that for a limited time, I really want you to claim my free copy of my new book, The Side Hustle Bible. I'm only offering this to podcast listeners newsletter subscribers, and the people who are part of the Choose Yourself tribe, because I really know you'll appreciate it, and I just want you to have this. If you've ever wondered what life would be like if you were to make either make money while you sleep or you have multiple sources of income so you're not so reliant on any one source, then get this book. I wrote it for me. I wrote it for you. You can get it for free at jamesfreebooks.com. That's jamesfreebooks.com. Claim your free copy of the Side Hustle Bible. Just go to jamesfreebooks.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.